better yet, they claim it's right for you, but not for me. Right? And that's the title of my book, Right for You But Not For Me, a response to moral relativism. Here are the three core arguments behind moral relativism. This is where it gets a little deep. Uh, all, serve, uh, all three of these arguments serve as a, a diversion tactic uh, in the war against moral absolutes. Okay, culture doesn't want moral absolutes. They do not want to be told that anything that they want to do sexually, financially, illegally, unethically, immorally, you name it, they don't want anybody to tell you that it's wrong. 60s generation is a point-in-case exercise in moral rebellion, moral rebellion against authority, military, government, parents, but ultimately guns die. Why did it happen in that generation? What was going on that made that happen? That's a good know? Yeah, what, what brought on the 60s? There is a chapter in the book that addresses okay. that yeah. in greater depth, but in summary, I'll give you um, my thoughts on that very, very briefly. For time's sake, I think what happened is we came out of World War II. Uh, people had seen enough family members die in World War II, and um, and what happened is uh, I believe that I think that our grandparents kind of coddled the baby boomer generation. They kind of coddled them. They they treated them. I mean, it's gotten worse now with the millennial generation, but you know, they coddled them and they didn't, you know, they were just so happy to have peace, I think. And I think that generation, you had, you, you, technology began to increase and you no longer had to live with challenge. Well, you don't have to live with challenge and toughness. I mean, my kids today, the whole concept of an outhouse is, you know, in my grandparents' day, that was the norm, you know? or at least right around that time frame. And now you look at kids today, I mean, if they don't have their own bathroom in the bigger cities, you know, they get a, you know they don't want to share a bathroom with anybody. So my point is, I think... They need to have that. They need to, yes. So, yeah. Difficulty in any culture, and then it makes people tough. The other thing I think would happen is, 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 and this is not necessarily in the book, but I think as we came off the gold standard and we, and we begin to borrow money to fuel our economy, I think that you live high in the hog, it's like living on credit cards. And so you live in this life of opulence for a while when you don't have to work for it. And that just creates an economy and a culture of entitlement. Yeah. And I think it just blew up from there. And I think that just flowed into, listen, I mean, most, you look at other countries, people are just trying to live, eat and drink, right, and survive without being killed. And you got a bunch of people that are getting naked, having sex, and smoking marijuana. And just, I mean, that's just disgusting to me. I never understood the whole, like, what was so appealing to anybody. I'm like, you know, I just wanted to just go to bed early and just get a shower and have something my mom cooked. But, I, you know, that's that's the era, you know. That's and you have to, you know, when you look at politics, that's where Hillary and Bill Clinton were part of that movement. And what you get? So while there are many arguments used by moral relativists, there are, are typically only three basic ones by moral relativists. Number one is the argument from disagreement. Number two is the argument from flexibility. Number three is the argument from tolerance. The argument from disagreement states, uh, states that different individuals and cultures have different moral beliefs. That's called moral subjectivism. And that's covered in the first part of the book. Morality is merely a product of personal opinion and individual culture. There's some problems with that, as we'll see. Here's the argument. This is the argument. Text, this would be a textbook, a textbook argument. 
Different cultures have different moral values. <clears throat> Excuse me. Christians are more, are moral absolute thinkers. So moral absolutists are inflexible. Therefore, Christians are inflexible. That's basically saying that our value is biblical principles, Judeo-Christian principles are absolute. Therefore, because they're absolute and we believe in absolute truth, that we're inflexible. Now, there's a way to answer that. It is correct that different cultures have different moral values. That's very correct. And, and <clears throat> that Christians are moral and absolute thinkers. And that moral absolutism is in and of itself inflexible. That's true. This does not mean, though, that Christians, in accepting other people, rather, they do not accept the, mor the morally relative beliefs of others. That's very true. Christians can be tolerant of others holding worldviews different from their own, but it is, <clears throat> it's wrong for other worldviews to mandate that Christians hold a morally relative position. So, in other words, you know, Christians believe in an inflexible system. That's correct to some degree from moral absolutes. We're also grace-based, you know, and I think if Christians weren't flexible, you would never have a Muslim that was allowed to move here. You wouldn't allow anybody but the Christian who is Caucasian to move here, you know? I mean, that's just the way it is, but that's not true. Americans have always been very flexible. Christians have always been very flexible. Those things aren't necessarily synonymous, but this argument is invalid from the standpoint that it allows for multiple interpretations of objective, that there's an objective sense of principles set of principles. It has no central point of authority. So, for example, you ever heard of xenophobia? It's the dislike or fear of other people, cultures, cultures that plays in it. If you read anything, like you watch news, you'll see this. You'll see the liberal commentators use this word. This word, xenophobia, it just means like, oh, you don't want, you don't want uh, us to legalize all these immigrants because you're just afraid of Latinos. Well, that's not true. It's not true at all. It, the point is, but they use that as a political argument. You know, or you're homophobic. Nah, I just, you know, I just believe in traditional marriage. Listen, I, you know, homosexuals have always been around. You no know, one's ever dragged them out of houses. That's ne there's never been any large-scale movement or even any, any movement at all in this country to drag homosexuals out and you know, torture them. And there's been, there's never been any movement in this country that I know of to export millions of immigrants. You know, I'm not saying. There's right or wrong in that. I'm just saying, you know, you're making an argument about something that's really has not happened. So we, I'm not saying there's not some one-offs, but they're very rare. You can't take one example. Like Matthew Shepard was a homosexual who got beat up, remember? And that was started the whole movement of the, you know, anti-bashing homosexuals movement. He just wrote a book. He said, the bottom line is that wasn't, that wasn't really true. So not in the way that they depicted. So responding to the argument of disagreement, Answering it does seem right. Uh, it does seem right to judge one culture to be morally superior to the other. That's what my point is. It must be right to say that flying planes into a building and killing thousands of people is right for that culture, right for you, but not for me. You have to be able to judge that culture because you wouldn't be able to say that's right or wrong. You'd have, you'd, right? I mean, you had people right after 9/11. I remember saying, I remember people saying, you know, you know that is. It's, um, you know, that was wrong in general, but it's their culture. And so what they're kind of saying is, you know, hey, that's, that's, their, that's their belief system. They kind of make an excuse for it. Number two, it's not right to judge a religion or a culture for such behavior. Really? We don't have to judge that? I mean, that's kind of checking your mind out. There are times when it's right to judge other cultures, uh, making cross-cultural comparisons uh, under one condition. 
Because it's not right to look at it and say, hey man, you know, I'm Italian. We like to eat pasta on Sundays. My wife's German. She likes to eat meat on Sundays. Now, as I get older, uh, I, I can't afford so much pasta on Sundays because you know, it just doesn't, you know, it's, and so uh, I'll eat more vegetables and meat now. And plus, the wife always wins out. And if you guys married, you know, but, you know that's, that's what happens. If you get married, the wife wins out. I'm just giving a heads up. On it. So, y'all know it's true. And, 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 you know, we tried to. Yeah. <laughs> It is what it is. Uh, I've been 15 years now. I know what's going on. So that the one cross, so that the one cross-cultural standard fits all. You know the fact that there's one cultural standard and that is based on God is true. This leads us to ask which God is true. Because I'll say, okay, yeah, we all believe in God. You know, we did a talk yesterday and coexist. Okay. Okay, God is, I think the Muslims would agree with us. Yeah, God's the standard. And Christians would say, yes, God's the standard. The question is, who's the, who's the real God? Well, that was yesterday's talk, and if you have more in here, you can download it on the internet. It will be up in the next couple of few weeks. Um, on coexist. All roads don't lead to heaven. I was witnessing to a Muslim once in, for about three years. So I had a radical Palestinian. And at the end, I looked and I said, Sai, there's nothing more that I want than for us to fellowship with God in heaven. I said, but if I'm wrong, I'm going to hell and I need to become a Muslim. He says, yeah. I said, but if you're wrong, you're going to hell and you need to become a Christian. I said, let's we work through this, continue to figure out where we're at, where the truth is. So it's wrong for, it's wrong, um, it is wrong for the argument from disagreement to deny the contrasting comparison of different religions and traditions. It's right to be able to do that. If such a belief was left, if we weren't allowed to judge other moral standards from other cultures, listen, we couldn't do it. We couldn't judge Hitler, Stalin, or the 9/11 uh, Islam, or the guy last night who went into Oklahoma uh, or two nights ago and then cut off the head of that innocent girl. So, and uh, secondly. To grant such a notion is to be too flexible, which brings us to the second argument, which is the argument of flexibility. The argument from flexibility says it asserts that moral absolutes break down in certain, certain circumstances. And that's what they're saying. Is, well, there's certain circumstances that it breaks down, the argument does, and so therefore, it's like throwing the baby out with a bathwater. And I'll explain that. That there are certain exceptions to every moral rule. There are times when lying, stealing, even worse acts of morality are justified. Hence, we ought to be more flexible with our beliefs. Argument stated, page 270 of the book, people who believe in moral absolutes are inflexible and intolerant. Here's the argument stated. Okay, This is the argument stated. People, the first premise, people who believe in moral absolutes are inflexible and intolerant because they reject other religious beliefs as wrong. Christians, second premise, Christians hold moral absolute view. Therefore, Christians are inflexible, intolerant people. Right? We have the argument for disagreement, argument from inflexibility and intolerance. This is we're in the inflexibility part. Number two, second argument. You kind of obviously you can see the overlap, but there are three different ways that they'll argue at the same point. Here's how it's answered. It is true that Christians believe in morality as both uh, absolute and inflexible. But the assertion that Christians are intolerant of people of other religions is wrong. I mean, my gosh, there wouldn't be anybody from any other religions here if that was true. I mean, you can go to Saudi Arabia, you won't see any church. It's matter of fact, it's illegal to be a Christian. Forget the church. I mean, if you're huddling in some cave somewhere, 
and an underground church and they find you, you're dead or you're in jail. Nobody is more loving and tolerant in the world than Christians. And look at the United States, a Christian-based country. My father came here from Sicily, greatest country in the world, here. You know, came here, my grandfather came here to escape fascism. You know, and we were cold when we came here, you speak English, you're American now. Who, what other country allows it? You know, we were sketching Mussolini. Now I'm getting Mussolini here, just in a different flavor. You know, actually Mussolini looks pretty good to what I'm dealing with right now. So by attacking uh, the Christian uh, person, by attacking the Christian personally, the moral relative seeks to devalue Christianity as part of the objective morality, leaving much much worse, more intolerant place. This is an ad hoc hominid attack. Um, and what they do is they'll attack you a lot of times. You'll see this on TV all the time. You might see this when you're arguing, or not arguing, when you're debating, or when you're in discussion. They'll attack you. Well, what about you? And what this in your life? And they, you know, you feel guilty about it. And it's a, it's a more scarecrow attack. Without him attack, they'll go ahead and, and attack the Christian personally in order to devalue uh, your position. Just because you're this way, then Christianity is not true or valid. <clears throat> There's, I'm not going to get as much into this ethics, but ethics and morality are prescriptive. So that means they say what you ought not do. Truthful, truth is descriptive. In other words, ethics and morality say you ought not kill somebody. Um, when you're talking about true-false and truth, you're saying it's descriptive. In other words. He killed somebody. You know, Donald Sanchez is a detective in New York City. Listen, you killed somebody or you didn't. It's true or false. They can figure out how to. Then you got to find the evidence. So, Christian ethics based on objective morality listen, and biblical principles, the moral standard of absolute moral morality is pretty clear. And it, and it worked pretty good up until this point, you know, in Christian values. But there are rare exceptions when certain circumstances require tough choices, really tough choices. And God, uh, there's a number of ethical models, um, and there's good Christians. I'm going to talk about very briefly about two basic ethical, moral models where this, and we're under the, the, this whole area that there are times when when moral standards break down. It, one is when when you have tough decisions to make and there's no good decision. Okay, so and I don't believe that God holds us accountable. For making the best worst decision. Now, there's some Christians who disagree with that. Good Christians. I'll explain in a moment. So God holds us accountable for choosing the less severe circumstance, and I'll explain that. Even if it's against what we would normally regard as moral. Example: Our neighbor demands that we give back his gun that we borrowed to go hunting because he wants to kill his wife, and we refuse it even though it's his property. Right? I mean, you're kind of—it's his property. You're supposed to give it back to him. So you, you either have to deny him his property, which is wrong, or you know, but you're doing so so he doesn't kill his wife. And I'll get uh, responding to the argument of flexibility. There are heartbreaking decisions that people have to make from time to time that, that arise from moral conflicts. It doesn't negate the existence of right or wrong. There are examples of what we call the greater good. Here's some examples. A mother with cancer. She's got nine kids. She is, and you've seen some of these in the news, actually. Does she take the, the chemo, which will kill the baby, or does she 
take the chemo, save her life, so she can be the wife and the mother of nine. Personally, that's a tough decision, you know. And you know, I've seen one where the, she just didn't. She wanted the baby to live, and that's the way it was. And my personal opinion, that's a tough thing because then she's got to leave her husband without a wife, you know. And then then she's leaving nine children without a mother. I kind of would say that you know. There's no right or wrong in that. The greater good, in my opinion, would be, my personal opinion, and you may take the other side, would be uh, to side with the fact that I think there's more responsibility the position of being a mother and a, and a wife. But, you know what I'm saying? It's not a black and white thing. You have half the people say one thing and half the people say the other. Here's another example, World War II, Anne Frank. Okay? So, she's upstairs in the room, and the Nazis come and knocking. Knock, knock, knock. Anybody here? Any Jews in the house? What is that? You gonna lie? It's not right to lie. Okay, so it, it's not, it, it doesn't make it right to lie. Islam has certain doctrines where you're allowed to lie. You're not allowed to lie. It's just that you're stuck in a position between a lie is just as much a sin as to commit, uh, hand somebody into cold blooded murder. But there are weightier sins on one side. Telling a lie is just as much a sin, but it's not as weighty as death. Murder. In, of an innocent person, it's it, you know you can't say chewing, stealing pack of chewing gum from the store is just as weighty as cold-blooded murder because it's not. So you see what I'm saying? So what do you do? So you lie. Some people say no, you got to tell the truth and let let the, let let it fly where it's going to fly. So such instances are, are not evidence of moral relativism, but quite the opposite. Uh, telling a lie to save human life is the greater good, and we, must, we, we need to look closely at God's word when we're when we're selecting, you know, the greater good, because it's not it's not easy. When you get into ethics and morality, some things are black and white, some things are really tough. And see what they'll say is, you see, okay, see, you have that example, okay? So you chose that for the lady instead of the baby, and so therefore, I was born this way. I'm homosexual, or I fly planes, and you know what I'm saying? I play. I, I'm a martyr. And that was my culture. And so they kind of wash it out, saying, this custom one thing's the great, you know what I'm saying? It breaks down, you can't make that argument. And that's not true. Be flexible with people's hearts and lives, but not with God's moral absolutes. That's the point. Uh, where we can offer flexibility is not in the position of absolute morality, but in how we communicate God's moral principles. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.20. So, I think it, we don't, the message is going to be offensive. That's the point. God's word's going to be offensive to a fallen mankind. It's just that we don't need to be offensive in how we communicate that. So sometimes we'll say it, and it seems disrespectful for them. But you know, you need to hear it. Um, by talking to a homosexual, I can say, "I love you." This is what God's word says. I didn't write it. That's God's word. If you have a beef, take it to Him. I'm just the messenger. I'm not the message. Argument three: argument from tolerance. Research that we ought to be tolerant for those with whom we disagree. We ought not to think of our morals. Culture or even our country values is morally better than any others because morality and values are relative. And we heard this uh, said yesterday, you know, with Common Core. They didn't want to even teach the founding fathers or the Constitution in Common Core. But morally speaking, why is that? Well, because it leads back to God and morality. That's why. If, listen, I'm telling you, if God and morality wasn't the issue, they would teach George Washington, Tom Jefferson, and all the rest of the Constitution fair and square. It's about it's about government wanting to be the measure of all things, which is what I just prove in my book. 
God is the measure of all things. Man is not the measure of all things. And anytime man thinks he's the measure of all things, he's in for a very, very rude awakening. So this changes the meaning of tolerance from simply accepting difference, different, uh, different, different lifestyles, uh, choices to accepting every belief is right or wrong, and that's 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 not right. So and it, what happens is that tends to be forced um, upon one party or the other. You know, it's amazing how you have people say we want equality, and yet they don't really want equality; they want superiority. So you have one group that's always been intolerant to them. As soon as they get in control, they go, you don't like what we say in our moral conduct, therefore we're going to turn around and punish you. <laughs> we're not even going to let you to live your life freely. So self-proclaimed tolerant thinkers are often least tolerant. You ever notice that? In other words, self-proclaimed tolerant people. People say, oh, I'm very tolerant. You need to be tolerant. People who preach tolerance in today's world tend to be the least tolerant of all people. The modern meaning of tolerance has morphed into the belief that everyone must accept, accept everyone else's belief <coughs> as right. So notice how they'll say, well, you need to accept Buddhism as a fair game, and Hinduism, and, and Islam, but, you know, your Christianity, and you, you, know, you need to go back to one. A response to the argument from tolerance. Problem one, it's mainly applied to Christians almost all the time. You never see any issues of tolerance against Muslims. I mean, they're cutting heads off, and it seems to be just an individual act. Now, if a Christian cut the head off of somebody, it would be a Christian problem. It wouldn't be an individual problem. But if a Muslim cuts the head off somebody with a knife while they're living, you know, it seems to be an issue of an individual that was not right in the head. Uh, problem two, has it... Uh, has Problem two is mostly advanced, this whole issue of tolerance has mostly been advanced to the U.S. government. There's some chapters in my book that speaks to the government. A lot of people don't like that part of the book. But I say, listen, you can't separate morality in our country without speaking to, to national policy. You just can't because it fuels morality. It disallows and allows. I mean, if you're told you're going to go to jail because you don't want to host a wedding, up, like up in New York, did you see that? A couple of wanted to host a, the, the same-sex couple wanted to get married in their barn. They do weddings in their barn, and they just said, "You know, we don't believe in that." So they fine them sixteen thousand, fifteen thousand, something like that, thousand dollars. I don't think they threatened them in jail, but I know they, they put a fine on them. So, uh, but that's the government. Listen, why shouldn't they just be able to say, "I want this guy." To, yeah, this is okay. This is not okay. I mean, what would happen if I went into their realm and said, "Well, we want to start doing evangelical weddings." <coughs> for same-sex marriages, and we want to preach about the goodness of marriage in a biblical model. You know, they, they have a hard time with that. New Mexico, have you heard of Elaine's? I met Elaine and her husband, Elaine's photography. This case is kind of older, but it's still in play. They uh, were asked to do, their New Mexico, they were asked um, to film a same-sex marriage wedding. And they said, listen, respectfully, we don't do that. It's in our bylaws of our company, but we do I'll have somebody we can refer you to is excellent at what they do. They didn't like that. They targeted them because they knew they were Christians. And the court went on to say the owners of a lane photography must accept the reasonable regulations and restrictions, restriction and restrictions opposed upon conduct of their commercial enterprise, despite their business, and that's a privilege of the government, uh, despite personal religious beliefs that they may conflict with government interests. Now, the Alliance Defending Freedom, have you heard of ADF? Wonderful 
TellADF.org. I'm going to be up there. I've been with uh, a part of them as a volunteer for 10 years and getting ready to present my book up there in their corporate out in Arizona. Largest Christian legal organization in the world. They actually have a seat in the United Nations. If you have check them out. This is their response in court. What would happen if an African-American photographer refused uh, to uh, photograph a Ku Klux Klan rally for the same reason? They said that in court. See the, log see the importance of logic? Remember I told you the logical soul? You gotta, you don't have to be a logic, I'm not a logic guy. Um, um, you know, I don't, in terms of, I don't get deep into level three logic. But basic logic, we all use it, and we have to understand how to use it well. It's amazing. The uh, ADF has appealed this to the Supreme Court. Call to action. Moral disputes, this is point three. Um, we first covered, you can't reason with an irrational person or an unreasonable person. Number two, we just covered the three core arguments behind moral, moral relativism and how to answer them in the context of tolerance. And number three, call to action. Now, what can we do? Moral disputes uh, demand an objective standard outside the dispute. So this is mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis said, the moment you say that one set of moral ideas can be better than, uh, than another, you are, in fact, measuring them both by the same standard. Saying that one of them conforms to the standard more nearly than the others, but the standard that measures two things is something different from either. So, you know, there, it's the government will come in and say, or the liberal or whatever, that, hey, this is our standard. It's Sharia law, or it's you know, protected class and whatever it is, but they're ultimately saying that they're the standard for everybody. Notice how that is. They're still, they're not arguing the fact that there's an ultimate standard, they're just saying it's not God, it's them. With the Christian perspective, we're saying it's God, it's not us. So, we don't invent the moral law any more than we invent mathematical um, or physical laws. No one invented the laws of math and Newton uh, like moral laws, they were just discovered. So the same basic moral codes, and we're wrapping up here, are found in all major cultures. Prohibit, uh, prohib prohibitions against disrespect, lying, stealing, and killing are found in all major cultures. You can't find a culture where these things are, are, are just accepted. You, even, you can go to anywhere and say you know, murder is not right. Some people will say, what about Islam? Well, it's still not right. I mean, that, that's, martyrdom is a religious act. But if you go into a Middle Eastern country and you kill someone's brother, mother, sister, whatever the deal is, wife, they're, in that culture, they're probably going to, you won't go to the police, they're probably just going to come and kill you and your family. That's just the way it works. So they don't accept it. No, 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 no culture does. A call to action. History has shown that when a society turns its back on God, God in, in turn passes judgment. Judgment usually by releasing his hand of blessing. And that's what's happening here. Listen, you want to do away with traditional marriage, okay? I'm gonna give you what you've asked for. The time is now for all who subscribe to the Judeo-Christian moral code to stand up and take a strong stand. This really is an old battle of lightness and darkness. Where we're at today may be the end of the time as we know it, but it may not. It may just be another thousand years and God's getting ready to do a major, another major movement in history. It's my hope that everyone's been Encouraged. Hello? That's the first there'll be no one. Okay. So call to action. We're just almost done here. History has shown that when you turn uh, your back, that turns uh, that God uh, turns its back on that and passes judgment. See that? This presentation will be available at uh, 
reasonfortruth.org, you have the card, as well as uh, on the podcast. And this book is available. I did bring some if y'all want it. Dr. Norman Geiser wrote the forward. Do, uh, Josh McDowell endorsed it, along with Frank Turek and uh, Kirby Anderson and a bunch of other now. Thank you for hearing me and coming out. I apologize for being late. Are there any questions? <coughs> Anybody have anything they want to argue with you about? I promise I'll be nice. Okay, in terms of morality, say you had a child who was wanting to, to not get married but live with his girlfriend. Okay. And they wanted to come to your house or go on a trip with you. What would your stand be on that? Um, to allow them? I was asked the same question, but let me let me actually notch it up for you. I think it depends on on the children. I was asked the same question. I have a I have a cousin who is uh, a very decorated homosexual activist. I mean, he's been written up. He's in Chicago. He's a doctor. Wait for the day we do hair follow, hair follow, Fox News or debate or something. But I love my cousin. He's my cousin. Now, would I allow my cousin to come to my house for Christmas or for dinner? Uh, I would, but I wouldn't a allow him to bring his lover. That's the first thing, because I'm not going to model that. So, in terms of coming to your house if you're living together. The first question is, who's around? Because there's no children involved. I personally think you love that. That's my opinion. It, um, because you, you know, you're not having any residual fallout amongst impressionable people. Because the best thing you could do is love them, show them the love of Christ, and then draw them back to the love of Christ. I mean, I, I, I personally believe that when it comes to the homosexual movement, that uh, one of our speakers, he heads up the PhD program. He heads up the PhD program. He's, he's got two masters and a PhD, and he's a very godly man. And he said to me, he said to me, he's one of our speakers of Reason for Truth, and he made a good point. And he said this, he goes, you know, the only thing we can do with the homosexuals, and, and this doesn't exactly answer your question, is to, is to share the love of Christ and let the Holy Spirit convict their heart. It really is the only way you're ever going to whoop that. You can't change your heart. Now, as far as people living together, you can, um, I, I think you love them, you make them part of your life, and what you do is you model goodness. That's what you do. If you show them the grace, I think they're going to give you the point. Because let's say they get married, right? And then they begin to grow up a little bit. And at some point, you know, they're going to grow up a little bit, and at some point, they're going to have to face the piper that life isn't, um, you know, the game that they may have thought it was going to be. Uh, and that kind of gives you the opportunity to get them better on track of what marriage is really like, really about. Does that make sense to you? So, I don't, does that answer the question? It doesn't. Okay. Uh, let me try to answer it again then real quick. Basically, I'm asking is, if you were, say if you were to travel together, 
or to have a trial. And this was something that was going to be put in front of you, and there is a child involved. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't, I, 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 I think it depends on how flamboyant they are. The bottom line is if there is a child involved, there ain't no way that I'm going to see immoral behavior modeled by a family member. That's my rule. We, my kids were in the number, my two girls, beautiful little girls, were in the number one dance school in Southeast United States. They one of the top schools in the United States. Miller Street School. And I'm saying this because I'm not being recorded right now. Um, and a lovely school. And so what happens is they hired one of their guys who worked there years ago. His name is Connor. So my two little girls, Connor comes walking out one day, and he just... I can't hear a word he's saying. And it's just like this. <laughs> My mom goes, you do that too well. <laughs> and I'm even the words, and, and I'm like, you know, and I'm like, mm. you know, my mom's like, what's that? We so I mess with my mom all the time. <laughs> so, you know, I, it, but the bottom line is this. This is the reaction by my little girl, which hardcore me. Connor! There's something to be said. Depends on how old they are. And I thought back to Dr. Norman Geisler, who spoke at a conference that my wife and I, I was speaking at, my wife was attending, called Defending the Truth. And my wife, at the time, made a lot of money, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. She was a big executive. And she just gave it up to homeschool kids because she learned something. But at the age of nine, your kids' values are formed. By the age of 13, your worldview's were formed. And I said, you know, honey, I, I know my wife didn't like some of the language, some of the songs. But I can kind of live with some of that stuff because it's not that vulgar. I said, I can kind of release them with the culture from that perspective. What I can't release is the fact that they are formulating in their mind what is and what is not a role model. And one of those role models is the gay guy. And at some point, they're going to they're gonna put this together with that gays act like that. And, and those two things, they're just going to have a love for people that are this way. They're going to be tolerant. I'm sorry? Then they're going to be they're tolerant. They're going to be tolerant, and they're going to see that. They may, in their mind, know that it's wrong, but in their heart, they're going to feel this compassion for them. And I don't mind having the compassion for them, but, but I don't want their moral values or their worldview to see that as right. And so we pull them out. We found another school. And you know what my daughter said? Bless her heart at age seven. I learned that term, didn't I? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a couple of females. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. She said, Daddy. School, we pray before we dance every time we Christian days. And you don't want to raise your kid in an incubator, but the point is this you release them into culture when they're ready for it. And a seven year old is not yet formed, and I ain't putting common corn in their head, I'm not putting any ideas in morality. Now, listen, once they're 13, 14, 15, you got to start to show them because they're already, they see, listen, at their age, they already are asking questions about boys asking marrying boys. They see things, you know, and you have to explain to them, hey, you know, God created us to be this way. So, does that better answer your question? Okay. If you want to answer one more time, I'll try real quickly to say Okay. But the bottom line is, the people living with each other, I think it boils down to it's wrong. But how we respond is your answer is it more is it wrong or how you parent, respond? As a parent, yeah. What would you allow to be in front of your family? There, yeah. I think it depends family to family. I think it depends on the kids around. That's not a black and white. Camp. It's never is. And it, 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 so you have to determine: Are you going to be affecting other people, Christians, to fall to be affected? Yeah. So I think that um, what I 
I think would I allow them to be part of it, certain things? No, it's like going to, if you're not a believer, I wouldn't, you don't partake in communion. Well, I wouldn't allow it to happen in my home. Yeah. But on a trip. Well, that's a whole other story about who's staying with who. Yeah. We, when we have people over our house and they're not married, we let them know you're staying in different rooms. Yeah. yeah. If you don't like it, I can tell you there's a but nice house. If you're house. traveling, we, we love you. If you're traveling, you don't have that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, listen, how old are they? 40. They're adults. <laughs> the only thing you do is, is, is model righteousness and set the example. I think that's what I want this whole week. Yeah, it's set the example because you, what you don't want to do is, you know, what you got to understand is your generation and their generation are two different generations. And the whole key is winning them back to Christ. Our generation is your parents told you this, you get smacked. <laughs> and God's going to punish you. Well, Thank we, you, said that. I, I, I hope that was helpful. Except for my second. Uh, I know. I kind of figured that out. I, I think the other thing is when you're dealing with high schoolers today, it's really tough. They don't, I'm going to have another set. And when I've got 11 year old, it's watching. Yeah. There's animals watching. No. We've got a big job ahead of us. Thank you, lady. I'll wear the shirt yesterday. Thanks for coming out, man. Putting out with me for three months. Oh, when I was in college, we had to do that common core stuff. You did, huh? Early childhood class. No kidding. I have missed way too much. Yeah, I, I didn't know it was out there. What? I have missed way too much. Friday, I couldn't make it here to the apologetics conference. Did you get my car? No, I didn't. Okay. If you go here, I'm going to put these up. My talks are all going to be a podcast. Okay. And here's my book. It's actually going to be available in there. Alright. So if you listen, if you subscribe to the podcast or you can go online. Uh, you do podcasts? Yeah. You do apps? Yeah. Who's live? Oh. So here I can tell you, you do apps. He's 35. Look at this. It's a slip. <laughs>